Just finishing up on Season 12, Episode 5, and I am picking up what you're putting down. Yep, I've been a fan of Index Card RPG for... What? Yeah, he's talking about Index Cards and... GURPS? It's not ICRPG? I see. It's ICG. U-R-P-G. Ickerps. That doesn't really roll off the tongue. What did I mean when I spoke about running simple GURPS from an index card? Is that even possible? Isn't GURPS like the very last rule system we would use for a quick old-school dungeon game? Hey, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our passion for the tabletop role-playing game. Thanks to Frank for the call-in at the top of the show. In episode 5, Barry, aka GM Shadow, from Shadow the GM podcast, chatted with me about the need for a simple introduction to GURPS. Since then, we've been collaborating along with other interested folk from the Roleplay Rescue Discord to create simple dungeon GURPS. Having made the case for location-based adventures in Episode 6, I further extended this theme in Episode 7, Mega Dungeon. During that episode, I briefly outlined our progress in beginning to create simple dungeon GURPS and my intention to begin work on the Dungeons of Thal. Two weeks later, we have a working draft of Simple Dungeon GURPS and the playtesting is underway. In this episode, I wanted to share the progress made and the basic shape of that set of methodological guidelines which leverage the GURPS rule system. Remember, role-playing games feature three major elements. The rules, certainly, but also the way in which we play, which I call the methodology, and then the world of the game itself. In Simple Dungeon GURPS, the world is the mythic underdark of the Mega Dungeon, or at least a small dungeon you can run some players around to try out this kind of game. Thus, while GURPS is powering the game as the rule set, the way in which we play, the method, is something that comes from a long tradition of the dungeon crawl game structure, as first experienced through original Dungeons & Dragons. My goal is to bring those two elements together within the context of my own mythic mega dungeon, the Dungeons of Thal. Just for today, I want to just take you behind the scenes and show you how a game like this might be set up and played. This is Season 12, Episode 9, Simple Dungeon GURPS. For many years, the repeated mantra of newcomers to GURPS, the generic universal role-playing system by Steve Jackson Games, has been, This is too hard! While you might feel this is untrue, the reality is that the perception of many gamers is that GURPS is unapproachably hard to learn and play. 
perception is reality for human beings and with that in mind the booklet we have written exists to introduce new players to the wonders of 3d6 powered by GURPS dungeoneering in the legendary dungeons of Thal. GURPS has been in its fourth edition since 2004 and is a stable solid framework for role-playing in any genre. There is a free-to-download GURPS Lite, which distills the basic set rules down to an accessible starting point. But the problem with GURPS Lite 4th edition is that it does not contain magic, and it's also designed for multi-genre. The notes we're putting together are based on GURPS Lite 3rd edition, last updated in 2003, simply because it contains rules for magic and beasts which have been removed from the latest edition. This is a free-to-download document too, and I'll put the link in the show notes if you're interested. There are significant differences between 3rd and 4th edition GURPS, but we're going to be stripping the rules down to sort of a bare minimum, mixing in some variants anyway along the way, and the basics of the game don't change. It's rolling 3d6 low in both editions, and then making the shift to the current edition can be made at any time. If you're of a certain age, you'll remember the Dungeons & Dragons basic set published in 1983. If you're too young, well, you can still find this old gem on the internet, but it's totally different to GURPS. Nostalgia being what it is, however, this pair of booklets has been the inspiration for what is known as the classic Dungeon Crawl adventure. The Dungeon Crawl is the basic scenario structure for role-playing games, gifted to us all through the original Dungeons & Dragons game in 1974, Thankfully, by 1983, the Dungeon Crawl game was being presented to aspiring gamers in a bright red box in a simplified format. Simple GURPS will be emulating that flavour of dungeon adventuring, well at least to begin with. Quote, A dungeon is a group of rooms and corridors in which monsters and treasures can be found, and you will find them as you play the role of a character in a fantasy world. There are many kinds of monsters, but dragons are the biggest and most dangerous, and have the most treasure. End quote. As the Alexandria notes in his excellent blog series, the Dungeon Crawl is, quote, the most successful scenario structure in the history of role-playing games, end quote. The reason for this is straightforward. The Dungeon Crawl gives the players a simple goal and a default action, which makes the game easy to understand. Additionally, the Dungeon Crawl is easy for the Game Master to set up and to run. Dungeons are a very flexible form of scenario. The basic goal of the player characters is to find all the treasure. The default action, if you don't know what else to do, is to pick an exit and move to the next location. For the Game Master, all you need is a map of the dungeon, a key for the map detailing what's in each location, which is generally the rooms and passages in the dungeon, and the basic procedures of the scenario structure. The procedures are the exploration turn sequence, the encounter sequence, and the combat turn sequence. The third sequence, the combat turn, is actually explained in GURPS Lite on page 24, but the others are detailed in our booklet, and I will stick a link in the show notes for the blog post that contains the most recent version of Basic Dungeon GURPS. Caveat emptor, we are still playtesting, and the notes will probably keep changing. Before you can get playing any role-playing game at all, you will need some players and they will need to create their player characters. The goal is to get you playing in mere minutes to avoid messing around with counting character points and to begin using the basics of GURPS which are outlined in the GURPS-like booklet. The basic steps are, as you might expect, 
pretty simple. Pick up 3d6 and roll them, writing down the numbers in order for strength, dexterity, intelligence and health. If any single score is below 8, you can replace it with the value of 8. And you can also swap two of the numbers around if you really want a particular attribute to be your best score. The next decision is to choose one of the adventurer types, all of which are named for their wildcard skill. We offer four classic choices, all listed with the exclamation mark to show they are a wildcard skill. Cultist! Fighter, Thief, and Wizard. In case you missed episode 7, let me explain what a wildcard skill is. The old Dungeons & Dragons game that inspired the dungeon crawl used the idea of a character class, the type of adventurer that you were playing. Class was a bit like a profession, but honestly it was just a way to categorise characters for pretty much game mechanical reasons. I'm not entirely sure actually why, but the effect was to create some clear character archetypes who each had their own niche in the dungeon exploration party. GURPS players tend to dislike this idea because the whole point of GURPS character creation is the total freedom to create the character concept you desire, but it's a convenient starting point for us. GURPS 4th edition has a useful optional rule called wildcard skills. Quote, the names of these skills end in an exclamation point in order to distinguish them from normal skills. Wildcard skills are useful for omni-proficient characters. End quote. We're going to use this simple idea of wildcard skills to evoke those classic classes from the old dungeon game. Wildcard skills work just like regular skills, but they are far broader in scope and would, if we were using them, cost a lot more character points. Once we've rolled the attributes and picked an adventurer type, giving us the core wildcard skill, we get to pick some weapon skills and a single additional adventuring skill at a higher level than the wildcard skill. Next, we choose our one advantage from some choices, unless we are the cultist or the wizard, because they gain the power investment or magical aptitude advantages, respectively. That allows them to cast a spell or two. From here, we roll on a random disadvantage table to gain a disadvantage, and that's because I like the idea of flawed characters. You have some kind of negative trait. And while you are, of course, free to choose from the list, it's fun to roll one randomly. And then we choose some starting gear. In simple dungeon GURPS, characters get some weapons and, unless they are the wizard, some armor. They get a small backpack, the personal basics, a collection of, quote, the things nobody but an idiot leaves home without, end quote, some rations and a wineskin with water. Players can choose three items from a list of ten things that are in the booklet. The final steps are looking up the character's thrust and swing damage dice from GURPS Lite, working out their speed and move scores, and writing down their active defences and armour values. And done. The longest this has taken me is about 12 minutes, and that included looking up stuff on the weapons tables and actually pretty much dithering over which hand weapon to choose. My goal has been to provide a character creation approach that takes around 15 minutes and certainly less than 20 minutes, even for a newbie. So with that in mind, let's take a look at an example. Okay, so continuing to play test Simple Dungeon GURPS, going to roll up a character and um, just going to run through this really, really quickly. So 3d6 for strength. I have rolled a 13. Uh, dexterity, I have rolled a 14. Uh, IQ, I have rolled five, uh, se seven in total. Uh, health, I have rolled 14. Pretty good rolls. Um, allowed to swap the seven for an eight. 
in Sinful Dungeon uh, Fantasy. That's just because basically it's a, a good minimum. So yeah, that's all good. So Strength 13, Dex 14, IQ 8, Health 14. Um, he's actually probably quite a good fighter-y type, but um, I could do with a thief, um, although thieves need to be smarter. So another little rule is that I can swap two stats around and I am really tempted just to swap, if I'm going for a thief, I'm going to swap the health and the IQ round. So I'm just getting my rubber out and it'll be IQ 14 and health eight. So it only gives him eight hit points, um, but it does mean I preserve the strength for, for damage and everything else. Now on the damage chart, strength of 13 is 1D for thrust attacks and is 2D minus one for swinging attacks, which is ace. Um, and his basic speed is dex plus health divided by four. So 14 and eight is uh, 22, uh, divided by four is 5.5. No, 22, yes, 5.5. Okay, cool. Which gives him a base move of five unless he gets encumbered. Um, I'm gonna go for the thief. So, I write down the thief with an exclamation mark at the end. That's the wildcard skill. Uh, thief, and that's at mark two less than his deck. So it'll be thief at 12. Okay. And then he gets to choose any of the following hand weapons. That's dex plus one. So axe, blackjack, fencing, short sword, or spear. I'm going to go with short sword. Um, it's very archetypal, isn't it? So short sword at dex plus one makes it at 15 or less. And uh, choose any of these missile weapons, bow, crossbow, sling, or spear throwing. I will go bow, and that's at dex straight, so that's at 14. Uh, and gain a shield, uh, gain shield skill, so, and that's at dx plus one, so that will be at 15 as well. Uh, that, by the way, makes his block uh, defense with the shield half that, so it'll be seven, it's rounded down, so seven. Um, and then one of these uh, skills appropriate at uh, at whatever attribute at plus zero. So climbing, riding, running, survival, swimming, throwing, or tracking. Um, it's climbing. He's got climbing under the thief. All right, he can do all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to go with tracking um, because I think that would be quite a useful skill. You could argue that it's part of the thief, you know, thing, but I've listed the skills that are part of that and it's not one of them. So that's all cool. So that'll be uh, an IQ check. Uh, his IQ is 14, so that'll be IQ plus one. Is, oh, sorry, IQ plus zero is 14. Um, great stuff. So choose one of the advantages. It's alertness plus three or combat reflexes, danger sense, daredevil or luck. Um, I fancy alertness plus three, actually. So uh, that will basically mean that all kind of perception type tests, he gets a plus three bonus on, meaning an IQ check becomes 17 for him. As you know, for any of those sort of tests, which is really good. Um, makes him very, very alert. And then roll for a random disadvantage. So that's 3d6. I'm scrolling down while I, I do this. So it's 11, which is honesty. Okay. Interesting. So honesty um, in GURPS. Uh, this is going to be one of those things that slightly delays it, but just to explain to you. So I'm just turning. You must obey the law to do your best to get others to do it as well. It's kind of really weird for a thief, yeah? So maybe the reason why he has become a kind of dungeon thief is simply because he doesn't want to break the law in town. 
Uh, well, he's made that kind of vow or something like that. I kind of have a suggestion of background here. Anyway, I'm wittering. Um, so next steps then. So I've got my thief. We've done, we now gain our chosen hand weapon and a medium shield plus our, our missile weapon for free. So he's going to have a short sword. Um, he's going to have a, bow, a regular bow. Um, and he has a, sh a medium shield. Uh, so I'm just writing these bits down on the back. And bear in mind here, this is all the time it takes for me to, you know, the character is um, basically built, right? And then we were like four minutes in. So um, short sword and a regular bow. With the bow, he gets a 1D um, plus one arrows in a quiver. So I'm just gonna roll the dice, gets three arrows. Uh, so quiver with um, three arrows. Okay, and then basic equipment, um, they get a small backpack and personal basics. So this is the time it's taking me to um, write this down. I just want to kind of get to you how quick this is. Traveler's rations times three. Okay, so that's three meals of rations. Um, these help you recover your, um, your, your uh, fatigue if you get in, you know, into a fight or, or whatever. A small wine skin with water in it. Um, and then a choice of three items from a list, okay? So I'm just going to go for the obvious things for him. Uh, so he will go for lock picks because I think that's kind of his primary job. Um, I'm going to take, have him take a crowbar. Now, I know that he's going into the dungeon with Fistandantilus, a wizard who's got a light spell, and also Gyrus, uh, who's a fighter. Um, so, lockpicks on a crowbar. One more thing he could take. I could take a six-foot pole, although I've always think that's a really strange thing. Um, I think what I will have him take, actually, is um, add some torches. I think just three torches would be... Um, a really good and wise thing to do. So worked out that um, that stuff. His weight allowance is twenty six pounds, and I'm going to tell you now that none of that is going to be anything like enough to at the moment to push him over that limit. Being a thief, though, he gets light leather armor as well. Um, I kind of decided to streamline the whole kind of you know equipment they get and. Um, like, sorry, light leather armor is a weight of 10. So that might be um, an issue for him in terms of speed and everything else, but we'll go from there. So his base move is five. That makes his dodge five. And his parry is his skill with his short sword halved. So that's a 15. Halved is a seven, isn't it? Because you round down. Um, and then I just got to write down the damage for the weapons. So we're talking short sword. I have two versions of that. There's cutting and there's impaling. So the cutting one if he's slashing with it and the impaling one if he's, um, you know, thrusting with it, you know, it's all good. And they're equal to your swing and your thrust respectively. So my thrust is 1D, so it's 1D impaling or swinging 2D minus one cutting damage. Um, the regular bow is based on his um, strength for range and everything. So he's got impaling at thrust plus one, thrust is 1d so 1d plus one impaling um and it's range boundaries so really anyone you need to know is the half 
range damage one because you're never going to get long range really that's strength times 15 um and that's probably about the only bit of maths i struggle to do in my head so um 14 times 15 is 210 yards 210 yards boom um and yeah, armor, so armor value uh, from light lever armor is a DR of one. Armor uh, PD gives of one. So this adds to the um, the defense rolls for him basically. And then the medium shield has a PD of three, okay? So that makes his um, parry and his block and his dodge can go up by a total of four because the passive defense adds to those. So his block becomes 11, his parry becomes 11, and his dodge becomes nine. And we're done. Well, okay, um, that only took nine and a half minutes, including time to explain my stuff, but um, I did miss counting the encumbrance. That took about a minute, and he was half a pound over the limit for medium encumbrance, so his move is reduced by two. And so the dodge defense took a bit of a hit down to three, so seven if he's in armor and with the shield. I also named him Nelson, but, you know, still, the whole thing only took about 10 to 11 minutes to roll up, and I was absolutely ready to play. Is that quick enough for you? So the dungeon crawl requires basic procedures to run smoothly. These procedures are the exploration turn sequence, the encounter sequence, and the combat turn sequence. The exploration turn is 10 minutes long. The party moves at the pace of their move score times 10 yards, or move times 30 feet if you prefer, as modified by encumbrance for the slowest member of the group. Periods of rest allow characters to recover fatigue, which they'll pick up from fighting or casting spells. Eating a meal will help recover one extra point of fatigue while resting. The expiration turn sequence is going to be very familiar to fans of BX and Beckme D&D. We check for wandering monsters. The GM rolls 3d6 with a 7 or less, meaning there's a wandering monster. Normally checked every two turns, that's every 20 minutes game time in the dungeon. The PCs decide what actions to take, movement, listening, searching, or whatever else. I usually run this by going around the table or down the Zoom call list when I play online. The GM describes what happens. If appropriate, the GM may call for attribute or skill tests to revolve actions. If the monsters are encountered, well, then we'll follow the encounter sequence. At the end of each turn, the GM updates his time records, especially for light sources and spell durations. The encounter sequence kicks in when the exploration procedure indicates an encounter with NPCs, monsters or other creatures. And the PC party should assign a leader for these moments when encounters occur because this will affect surprise. It's the only bit of rules I needed to summarise and which came from GURPS 3rd edition basic set. The encounter sequence covers some fairly simple steps. Firstly, the number appearing is decided. The GM determines the size of the encounter, either from their notes or from rolling the optional number appearing entry that we've added to the monster description. And because this is GURPS, that's generally something like one per player character or some similar kind of formula, although sometimes 1d6 creatures is just as good a way to do it. Next, the encounter distance is determined. The GM determines the distance between the party and the monsters, and that's usually 2d6 times 3 yards. 
and then we check for surprise. Each side rolls 1d6, adding any modifiers, and the highest wins. Losers are mentally stunned, meaning they can't act until they make an IQ roll to recover. A reaction roll is made next, and the GM may roll for the monster's reactions using the reaction table that you'll find in GURPS Light. The GM is, of course, always free to choose the reaction if they want to. And finally, we just determine the results. We resolve the encounter, whether it's by negotiation or withdrawal or by entering combat. Which, of course, brings us to the combat turn sequence. When combat begins, the game shifts into one action per second. Well, actually, really, one second per turn. The combat turn sequence is very quick. Initiative is predetermined because characters act in order of the move scores of all the combatants from high to low. On your turn, you choose a manoeuvre. The active character picks one manoeuvre. Examples might include, I know, move, readying a weapon, reloading a missile weapon, aiming, attacking, or all-out attack, one of my favourites. But just remember, combat turns are one second of action, so it's just one thing. And then the player and GM resolve the manoeuvre. This might require anything up to three die rolls for an attack and then the opponent's defence and then the damage roll. When everyone's acted, the turn is over, but you repeat then until the combat is resolved. At the end of each combat, characters lose strength from fatigue equal to their encumbrance penalty. This makes fighting tiring and eventually forces parties to rest. Mostly because... When you take fatigue damage to your strength, that affects your strength. Apart from damage, it affects your strength. So if you're trying to do a strength-based test, like, I know, force open a door or lifting and carrying stuff, then obviously you're using the lower strength value. Regaining one strength from fatigue per 10 minutes if you have a rest, well, that's a good thing. It takes a full turn, basically, to rest, and you get an extra point of fatigue from eating a meal. And that's pretty much it. Pretty much all we need to run a simple dungeon call game using GURPS 3rd edition Lite. Obviously, there's a whole load of stuff I am writing about how to build and stock a dungeon for yourself, including Barry's largest contribution, the monster and creature stats based on that old school level 1 monster table that we love so much. But hopefully this is something we can attract some listeners into coming and playing and you know, trying it out. My goal is to run the Dungeons of Thal as an ongoing ad hoc open table campaign, both through the Roleplay Rescue Discord community, but also with the school club I run with the students that I teach. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. As you know, I love to hear from you. So if you've got a question or comment, then please hop over to speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue where you can leave up to a 90 second message. Obviously, if you prefer, just open up a voice memo app in your device, record what you want to say or ask, and then email it directly to me via hello at rpgrescue.com. I've had a couple of call-ins this week, both responding to Barry and my conversation in episode five. And that said, I'm really going to share one of those in a future episode because it contains a whole bunch of questions that will probably need a longer answer but also allow me to invite Barry to reply too. In the meantime big thanks to Frank and Brian for those calls and well let's hear what Frank wanted to share. I really do like the idea of a stripped down GURPS system and I know we've talked about it before and you've said really all you need is to have the four stats and I might say you could go with three stats and use the fantasy trip concept where your stat is also your 
more or less hit points. So I think that's something to consider. I'm certainly going to be using that as part of my system. I just feel that it really it really emphasizes the fatigue and exhaustion and injury that you can sustain in a a battle or even you know a fight or an argument or any type of any way that you would have to exert yourself any energy you might have to you know use so that you know you it becomes harder to hit an opponent when you have less hit points so to speak you know your strength is down or your uh intelligence is down so that makes it more difficult to to do things and i feel like that shows this or it just i don't it gives more of a feeling that that hit points matter it's uh, you know i just recently watched a dungeon craft video i believe it's his latest and he talks about uh tracy hickman's method of hit points in the revised second or the second edition of extreme dungeon mastery and how it's really more of a sliding scale and he 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 says that tracy hickman uses this i this concept that uh, the original hit points and and perhaps he got it from somewhere else but the the concept is that hit points are a timer and it never occurred to me but became very apparent to me and should be to anybody else who's gone through the slog fest of a high level fight where you've got tons of hit points and i'm talking more or less in a dungeons and dragons d20 you know the sort of that traditional d20 type resolution mechanism to me that because he mentioned it it became very apparent to me that yes it is a timer but it's a timer also that can be reset or you know uh, another analogy was that it that you're you're moving beads back and forth across the table uh, where the opponent takes away some of your beads and then you take away some of their beads but then the cleric gives you some more beads and so the it just keeps going on and on but there's no to me there's no real sense of what's happening outside of using descriptive language there's no real i don't know it's like you should feel it you should feel the the exertion you should feel tired you know there's there are there are if you think about any kind you know even in an argument you become mentally exhausted from the argument so i feel that incorporating that concept into a game is is sort of necessary for me 
you know, what if you're, you know, just as in the fantasy trip, the strength, your strength is actually your target number. And you have to more or less overcome your own strength, you know, to, to, to win or so to speak, to, to have a success. And as you, as, as, as you as you become more and more exhausted, as you take more and more damage, that ability to meet that success becomes harder so that it's, it's not just your opponent's skill, but it's also your own shortcomings that will take effect. Am I making sense? I feel like I'm rambling, so I'm just going to leave it there. So that's it for another week massive thanks to frank for calling in i love your thoughts my friend and i'll think you'll find a lot of those answers about fatigue draining strength for example in gerp's third edition please keep comments and questions coming guys it's speakpipe.com slash roleplay rescue thanks also to the roleplay rescue torchbearers shield bearers and sword bearers the patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpg rescue Thanks to John from Tell the Manticore for all of the show music, and a big thanks to you too for listening. I hope you found this useful. My name is Che Webster. This is Rob by Rescue. I'll see you again on the flip side. Game on.